Critical thinking. If you really learn how to think, how to pay attention, then you will know that you have other options. It will actually be within your power to experience a crowded, hot, slow, consumer hell type situation as not only meaningful, but sacred, on fire with the same force that lit the stars, love, fellowship, the mystical oneness of all things. Not that that mystical stuff's necessarily all true. The one thing that cap is capital T true is that you get to decide how you're going to try and see it. This, I submit, is real freedom, the real value of education, of learning how to be well-adjusted. You get to consciously decide what has meaning and what doesn't. That is real freedom. That is being educated and understanding how to think. The alternative is unconsciousness, the default setting, the rat race, the constant gnawing sense of having had and lost some infinite thing. I know that this stuff probably doesn't sound fun and breezy and grandly inspirational the way a commencement speech is supposed to sound. What it is, as far as I can see, is the capital T truth with a whole lot of rhetorical niceties stripped away. You are, of course, free to think of it however you wish, but please don't just dismiss it as some finger-wagging Dr. Loris sermon. None of this stuff is really about morality or religion or dogma or big fancy questions of life after death. The capital T truth is about life before death. It is about the real value of real education, which has almost nothing to do with knowledge and everything to do with simple awareness. Awareness of what is so real and essential, so hidden in plain sight all around us all the time that we have to keep reminding ourselves over and over, this is water, this is water. The above clip or quote is called This is Water and it was delivered to the Kenyon College graduating class by David Foster Wallace in 2005. It still resonates today in a, any conversation about critical thinking. So I had an argument last night with my mother concerning the role of institutions in delivering education. The conversation went something like this. Mum, we need institutions in order to help regulate the bad in society and enable the good. Me, regulations only serve the interests of the top-powered echelon of society, meanwhile handcuffing the rest of us to complete powerlessness while we hurtle towards certain doom. Mum, that's way too dramatic. Educational institutions are the necessary gatekeepers needed to ensure the credentials of knowledge creators. Me, okay, and who gates keeps them? What interests do institutions serve? Mum, institutions spread critical thinking. Me, yeah, to the privileged few who can afford it. Mum, Australia is an anti-intellectual nation of sport lovers and our current institutions of critical thinking are already under attack. We need to empower them, listen to them. Me, that's because the dominant media responsible for culture creation is all a controlled institution. The Murdoch media responsible for manufacturing diversion of attention. The institution is the problem. Mum, without critical thinking, we would live in a society of trumps. Me, and yet our current model defunds humanities in place of STEM. Mum, they disempower the humanities because they have an impact. Me, the impact of the un unemployable arts degree graduate with a stacked hex debt. So it was a pretty heated argument and safe to say, other than clearing the cobwebs of some cherished beliefs, there was not a lot of consensus found in the whole conversation. 
but I slept on it. And after another follow-up conversation with mother this morning, found some common ground. Harvard University published an analysis of principle versus position based argumentation. What my mother and I were engaged in last night was a position based argument. For me to be right, my mother had to be wrong. For her to be right, I had to be wrong. And we very quickly found ourselves going nowhere in the conversation, though the emotionally cathartic release of saying one's true feelings was nice. Principle-based argumentation is a different style of conflict resolution, one that looks at the principles behind the position you take in an argument and seeks a consensus in the first principles of your decision-making. For example, the consensus that my mother and I found this morning is that we both think feel that education is a is a means of spreading critical thinking. The difference in our opinions is that my mother believed that credentialism via institutions was the only way to achieve an educated society, whereas I believe that these institutions block the democratization of education that would see a greater proportion of the population gain access to the critical thinking that education provides as a vector or is a vector in providing. I further believe that education delivered by an institution gatekeeps skills and not in a positive way. Brand, prestige, power, money are all dependent upon that institution being the only vector of knowledge and young people are increasingly saddled at the beginning of their lives with unpayable student debts in order to simply learn the skills of thinking required for navigating the complex world that they were born into. How much better would it be if critical thinking could be taught through more democratised vectors, say podcasts? How much better would society be once we take the silos of ignorable information educational institutions represent and democratise this access to knowledge, these skills, throw away copyright? And what happens without credentialism? Well, what makes someone inherently more worth listening to than another person? Nothing innate, surely. It is the functionality of their value system, the rigour of their logical reason, and if we are all thinking and feeling functionally, there should be no need for a top-down credential to tell us that someone's point of view is worth respecting. In Indigenous cultures, elders are recognised in a very organic way for their service of thought and feeling to their community and the wider environment. Do we need an institution with its arbitrarily created power structures to tell us what are good thoughts or not? Surely that is the perfect description of brainwashing. And what if the majority of the population has dysfunctional patterns of thoughts or feelings? That might be true, but here's a radical idea. Let's be patient with such people. Let's recognise dysfunction as neurosis and hold a safe harbour while these dys dysfunctional neuroses are found and rooted out. I personally experience psychosis, but afterwards the clarity and depth of my thoughts are exceptional, so I'm left to wondering, is it psychosis or neurosis? There is no doubt that we are a deeply traumatised civilization built on disconnection to nature and each other and what I characterise as violent hierarchical relationships. It is no surprise then that the mass or mob is filled with hate, with vendetta, with chopped slurry for thoughts. But the beginning, but the beginning product ain't the end one.
Let's consider the type of learning that is done in schools. Did you learn much? Me neither. The stress of upcoming assessments, the existential dread at never getting to university or being employable, the discipline, the forcing to learn skills you had no interest in, the competition with your peers starting from age five and continuing through university into the rat race, the doubt, the anxiety, the feelings of not being good enough, the submitting yourself to a process of total sublimination to earn some shitty credential. How can true learning even occur in such environments? You learn one thing, obedience. Come on, sheeple, say the educated to the uneducated, unknowingly gatekeepers of the very system that keeps people dumb. Who needs an institution for that? Let's look at the science behind what happens in performance of complex tasks when external pressure is applied. Dynamogenic fear theory is a social psycholo psychological theory that elucidates how arousal facilitates the dominant response. The premise is simple. When an individual has to perform a task in an audience condition or a co-action condition, that is when they are watched or participate with another participant, they become aroused. This arousal involves the releasing of cortisol, the stress hormone. In a task of simple well-known actions, this arousal improves performance, but in complex tasks involved, say, in learning some new complex principle, cortisol retards the ability to learn and perform. RSA Animate produced a viral video on YouTube, 18 million hits, which basically showed that people were motivated by three things, autonomy, mastery and purpose. Money was only a motivator until sufficient security needs were met. What studies done by various universities in the video found is that complex tasks, it retarded in performance. Found is that external rewards such as money had a similar impact as an audience in the performance of complex tasks. Sorry, it retarded performance. Why is this? Well, incentivizing good work leads to a reprioritization of the reward as more important than the goal itself and adds pressure to keep creating the same type of work in order to be sure of being rewarded in the same way. Robin Grill from Parenting for a Peaceful World further explains the phenomenon. When children are bribed with rewards for good behaviour, they soon learn how to manipulate us by acting the part that is expected of them. They wise up to what it takes to get the goodies from us, the approval, the ice cream, whatever. They become superficially compliant, doing what it takes to flatter or impress us, and honesty suffers. After all, who wants to be honest or real with a person who is evaluating them? Once relating is reduced to mutual manipulation rather than authenticity, this sets the stage for manipulative and dishonest relationships relationships later in life. Manipulation erodes the functions of mutual trust, vulnerability and transparency which are vital to healthy intimate relationships. As a result of early manipulation, we grow up trying hard to please, we learn to use our wileys to impress in order to get the goodies at the expense of being our natural selves. We develop a phony or false self that distorts our relationships with others. In contrast to the fear response generated by most educational institutions, true learning actually occurs when there is complete calmness of mind.
That is when your mind is free from all fear-based snags to dive deeply into the information. True learning is born out slowly with patience. Meditation trains stillness of mind, body and spirit. True learning happens individually or if taught the teacher needs a depth of knowledge so that when they spin it out the principles sing, the patterns are preserved and the flash of deep insight conveyed is like diving into a pool of water and suddenly being completely refreshed, rejuvenated, liberated. True learning, if you're enjoying it, you're doing it right. Beyond learning skills, deep learning and teaching can only occur when there is a deep and unmuddied understanding of the topic at hand. Deeper understanding is like a tree. The deeper the first roots are, the more stable and more diverse topics you can have branching out. Miss out the roots, get a bunch of twigs and a leaf, leaves and a clump of dirt with a test to sit on epidermis structure. But this is the requirement for learning how to critically think. And let's think about the ways that we are trained to think. One way is non-critical thinking, that is, it is procedural, step-by-step, non-dissecting, blind to its impacts and values, you know, the exact way we are trained to think in order to operate technologies, sequential and crystallised. Such modes of thinking are trained by STEM subjects, math, science and engineering. Critical thinking, in contrast, requires prioritisation and interrogation, requires insights and critiques based off the values, so it's probably better off to be thought of as critical feeling, not thinking, as it is based around values and re-evaluates incoming information by this criteria. So, as you can imagine, such people who excel at this type of thinking are not very technologically literate. These people are your philosophers, excelling at drama, music, art, English and history. There are strong similarities between this type this type of characterization between the two ways the mind can be used and the brain habits of oral versus literate people. For example, whereas literate people interiorize their linear writing processes into thought processes, divorcing knowledge from content, oral people use knowledge, learning and forms of thinking that mnemonic, that is highly formulaic, structured and repetitive. Let's further classify these. The first non-critical thinking mode of cognition I would call intuitive thinking. That is, it is a sequential variable versus variable thinking that builds a map of reality based off of knowing the composition of each building block. The second critical feeling mode of cognition I would call intuitive feeling, that is, it understands reality as it should be and can discriminate between what belongs within reality and what should and can be lost to obtain a more idealised state of life. These modes of cognition are directly contradictory of one another and yet both are dependent upon each other, values to set directions and mechanical knowledge to obtain outcomes. We all have a natural comfort zone but it is possible to learn different ways of cognition and in so doing build compatible neural pathways that round out our capacity for true awareness-filled thought and give us the capacity to dream a new world into being. True education, when intuitive or critical feeling based, lubricates our thoughts, inspires us to do more and feel more. Yet I attribute the quality of my writing to mathematics training, training that enables you to decouple emotion from the logical working through of analytical steps of thinking. This is painful and feels like you're tearing up your most cherished beliefs, but it does increase quality and clarity of thinking, which is an important partner to the quality of your feeling. 
So maybe it's all time that we learned critical feeling and gave non-thinking based modalities the prioritization as the setter of our values. The problem with society as it currently exists are that the institutions are holding us into a rigorous science-based paradigm. Science discourages the serious contemplation of anything that cannot be isolated and falsified. It is a discipline with a huge amount of content and very little governing value. Its apparatus is simplistic, independent, independent variable versus dependent variable, and it cannot holistically or dynamically integrate felt truths outside of a laboratory setting. That it is responsible for setting our values is deeply problematic.